But uh, I think I can promise this will be the last day of daily meetings for a while. Well, if you really, really need a meeting tomorrow, I guess you could go to a Mormon church. I don't think I'm that desperate. Although I think, did I tell you yesterday, I, I told somebody, I don't know, what, remember, <laughs> is it going to be like that all day? I don't remember whether I told you or not for sure, but uh, I think I've been raised by the Mormon church to the level of bishop. Uh, I've been answering the phone a lot the last two weeks, and they'll say, Bishop? And then they'll say, is this Hagen or Kagan or whatever it is they ask for? Well, no. I think what I'm going to do next time is I'm going to say, yes, I'm a bishop, and then see what they ask. <coughs> anyway, uh, I don't know whether they published the bishop's number in some ward and, and they made a mistake, or whether uh, a bishop that they've just appointed has a name within a digit of mine like the, the barter store is or not, but uh, it leads to strange calls. Anyway, before I forget, and I might at the tail end of this, I want to thank each and every one for their uh, support their, of each other and support of what we're doing here and the peaceful time that we have had to keep these days, or those days that we just finished. This is just the Sabbath at the end, but uh, I found it to be quite helpful, I think, and it's been nice to be able to fellowship with everyone here, and especially, I guess, those from out of town that we don't see very often. I know there were several who wished to be here this year, but uh, either their health or someone else's health or something else prevented them. So our greetings to you as well, and wish you could have been here, and maybe next year that'll be. We shall see. <coughs> But there was an awful lot that went into food preparation and hall cleaning and all the various things that occur to make things easy for everyone. And uh, I, I certainly have appreciated all the effort and work that has gone into providing what you have provided. So those things all add up to help make something good and successful and peaceful and happy. And also for the generous offerings that have been uh, given as well. Uh, always we're told not to come before God empty, and it is truly to Him that we're opening our hearts and our wallets, and those funds then He directs be used for church purposes, but uh, they are truly given to Him. Uh, that's what the Scripture says. But they are also appreciated by men on earth. I ran across something today that <clears throat> is going to impact this sermon uh, quite a bit, <coughs> and it has to do with a <clears throat> frustration and a perplexity that has assailed many of you over the last few years, last 10 or 20 years, uh, and I don't know that there's been a real good answer for in some respects. But it was addressed by someone in the world, which I'll get into in a little bit. But let's understand, first of all, a little uh, context, maybe, of where we are. 
You'll recall the story of Noah and how after enduring Adam and Eve's life, uh, man not only departed in the garden, but departed from God wholesale, so that by the time uh, God got ready to, to do something about it, violence and sin had spread through the earth to the point God said that there is only sin and thought of sin continually. There's no let up. And our society has gotten pretty much that way today. Everywhere you look, there's chicanery and falsehood and lying and cheating and stealing and murder and uh, idolatry wholesale. Everything is upside down, backward and wrong. And he says it would be in the, as in the end, as it was in the days of Noah, people just going on about their lives, doing what they want to do, with essentially no regard for God, which is what his complaint was, really, in Noah's day. But the timing here, I think, is interesting, and I don't know that I ever focused on this before. Noah was addressed when he was 500 years of age, or God addresses him there in Genesis, and it says that he begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, whether they were triplets or that happened over the course of a few years is uh, silent. However, immediately it says that the evil was on the earth and that God had determined that he was going to intervene and do something about it. So then he caused Noah to begin building the ark. I just thumbed back through there. I always had it in mind that he spent a hundred years building the ark. And I don't know that that's entirely true. Uh, Maybe I overlooked something when I looked at it, and maybe it is exactly. It is uh, true, though, that God addressed Noah at the time he was 500. And if it took a few years before he began, began building the ark... Uh, I I don't think is completely stated. So there may have been give or take a little bit there, but the flood came in Noah's 600th year. So from the time God addresses Noah until the time of the flood at least, it was an even hundred years. I don't know about the actual building. That might have been 95 or 90 or 97 or who knows unless somebody sees there something that specifically states that. And I looked at it quickly this morning, so maybe there is. But anyway, from the time God addresses the issue until it comes was 100 years, no doubt about that. And then he punched the reset button. He cut the violence back, he cut the sin back, and only eight people survived out of how many ever there were. That was quite a cutback in sin, <laughs> you know. Uh, millions and millions, maybe billions of people there, because they had a, over a thousand years to populate the earth, and nobody died, except in violence. But, I mean, they lived long lives, naturally speaking, and were able to have children way beyond 30 or 40 years of age, Noah being a te- uh, an attestation to that having engendered those three sons after he was 500 years of age. So, at any rate, when God punched the reset, it changed everything. And there was basically a start over. 
Now let's fast forward to today. <clears throat> and God began to work with Herbert Armstrong. Well, first of all, Loma, and then Herbert Armstrong at her insistence in 1926-27. Now, when did the work start? Maybe as in Noah's case, it doesn't really matter when it really began to go, whether it was 1931 or 1933, uh, in terms of plain truth or broadcasts or whatever. But the point is, God addressed Herbert Armstrong in 1926-27. And now we are almost a hundred years after that. Now from Ezekiel, and the best information I've been able to find, we may have a jubilee year, about 2026 or the beginning of it, or right in that 2026-27 area, which would be a hundred years from the time God began working with Herbert Armstrong in this age. Quite an interesting parallel, is it not? Now you say, will this go on that long? I don't know what you mean by this particularly, but I can show you, and have before, quite a few years of things that have to occur. Things that are events that are timed not in terms of their beginning in Scripture, but in terms of their length, of how long they last. And we can easily come up with anywhere from 8 to 12 years that may occur before the first resurrection. Uh, counting backward from, let's say, Christ's return in the first resurrection, uh, you've got a year given for the seven last plagues. There's one. You've got three and a half years of the tribulation that it comes just before that. There's four and a half. And just prior to the abomination being set, which is the signal of the beginning of the three and a half years tribulation, you have 70 weeks in Daniel 9, or almost a year and a half, uh, for Jerusalem to be built. So that's uh, three and a half, four and a half, five and a half, that's six years already. Then you have the temple having to be built. The Bible does not delineate how long that will take, but that could easily be a period of one and a half to three years. Who knows? So there you've got seven and a half to nine years already, and it hasn't started yet. Now, when will it start? We have to have a gathering first, and then... Things have to get underway. So, we're looking at easily nine, ten years, maybe twelve, who knows? We might get to that 2026 20, uh, time frame before Christ actually returns. Now, he may cut something short, as he says, <coughs> lest no flesh be saved alive. But I don't think that means he is going to cut the tribulation short. The Bible has made it very clear that it is a combination of 42 months, three and a half years, and 1,260 days, several times. So, I don't think that gets cut short. And the witnesses die, and Christ returns three and a half days later. So, that is pretty much timed and written in stone, or in the Word. So, I don't think he'll cut that short. He's not going to cut short the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel 9 for building Jerusalem. 
the area that I see as the greatest possibility would be that year after the tribulation when the seven last plagues are brought down just as the church or the 144,000 ascend with Christ to be married and have a year's honeymoon as per Deuteronomy 24, I think it is. Now, he might cut his honeymoon short, but note that the scripture said that he would cut, he would cut things short lest no flesh be saved alive. Daniel 9 and building of Jerusalem doesn't threaten all flesh. The tribulation itself, which is stated as being Satan's wrath and the times of the Gentiles, and God will give them their full time, three and a half years, does not threaten all human life. Because there is quite a bit of life left at the end of the tribulation that the seven last plagues are visited upon. But if those seven last plagues continued throughout their duration, throughout the time given, and were finished, it is very possible that there would be no flesh saved alive. So, to me, that is the most likely period of time that God might cut short. By a week, by a month, by three months, who knows? I mean, nobody knows but the Father and maybe the Son at this point. But that seems the most likely, because that is the time of the greatest threat of men being wiped out, is that particular year and those particular plagues. <clears throat> However, once God begins to intervene, even as in Noah's day, there was quite a period of time where people had the opportunity to begin to ask the right questions, uh, to accept the answers that Noah might have given, but they didn't. And it caught them all by surprise. They just went on marrying and giving in marriage and living their lives according to the way they wanted to live them and left God completely out of the picture. And then sudden destruction. Now God started a work or began working with Herbert Armstrong, as he did Noah, approximately, and I think you have to say that, approximately a hundred years before this all comes down and finishes. Because we're already right close to 90 years, and another 10, 12 is going to put us in the hundred range, and it could easily go that far, as we've already seen today. That doesn't mean there won't be some major changes even as, in Isaiah 40, he says to begin to comfort the church that their warfare is accomplished, he also says almost immediately after, I will shake the heavens and the earth. He says the same thing at the end of Haggai. I will shake the heavens and the earth. He says it in Joel. He says it in a lot of different places in the Old Testament prophecies, and Christ reiterated it several times in the New Testament. So there is going to be a time of great shaking, a time of great change, and a time after the seven last plagues where God completely punches the reset button, even as he did in Noah's day, 
And few men will be left alive, as Isaiah 24 clearly points out. There's another one that talks about the shaking and the quaking and the darkness and the convolutions of the earth and everything that goes on at the end of the age. Ellen G. White, the SDA, tried to use Isaiah 24 to show that all men would be wiped out. And her new heavens and new earth and the, the orb, the planet burning up, uh, she based on that. And the church picked up on it later and it was wrong in the first place. The earth is never going to be burned. We proved that. But the surface is going to be scoured and it'll be like a refiner's fire. But Isaiah 24 says in several places, few men left. Not completely gone, but few left. And she left those out of her quotes when she wrote her book, The Great Controversy. So God shows that there is going to be a mass cleanup prior to Christ's actual return. And that even after He returns... The seven last plagues, as we saw in a couple of scriptures yesterday, will then wreak havoc on what is left, even as the bride is getting her assignments and having her honeymoon with her new husband at the Sea of Glass, at God's throne, while this goes on here on the earth. Now, we just finished seven days of putting sin out of our lives at least symbolically, and hopefully we're working on it literally. But that's essentially what God is going to be doing. The plan of salvation, as rehearsed through the holy days, through the year, begins with Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, but with our putting of sin away. Now, we have opportunity and space to repent, even as the people in Noah's day did, that we might survive this and might live on in a resurrection when Christ returns. That's something the church never really understood either, is that church, Christ's return comes in stages. The first stage is at the end of the tribulation, which he comes almost to the earth, and we rise to meet him and then go back to his father's throne to be married and to have the honeymoon. The next time he comes, Zechariah 14, or, yeah, it's 14, states that he will come and his saints with him when he touches his foot down on the Mount of Olives and the mountain divides in two. So we will have already been joined with him, spent a year, or maybe a year cut short with him, and be with him when he sets his foot down on the Mount of Olives in the sight of the whole world. Now there may even be another stage to that, where he says he comes equipped for war, riding a white horse, his garments dipped in blood. Now, maybe that's when he returns with us and puts his foot on the Mount of Olives because that's when he is going to put down all peoples and nations that are left that are in rebellion against him. So I think it's actually a two-stage situation. There is some basis for the deception of the secret rapture. 
We didn't see how that fit at all in previous times. It will not be secret. He'll come down and will rise to meet him and people will see him. But then he will withdraw. Then after the honeymoon, he comes back and sets down his foot on the Mount of Olives, prepared to rule. He may even go back up after putting down all uh, enemies. And the Father and the Son then come with the bride, bringing the new Jerusalem with them at the beginning of the millennium. So it looks like there's quite a bit of back and forth. Maybe I should go back and really carefully research that to see how many actual times he goes back and forth. But uh, it's quite a situation. It's not like we always anticipated it before. We always thought we'd see him, we'd rise to meet him, and he would come down and immediately put his foot on the Mount of Olives. Not so. That doesn't fit all the Scriptures. Anyway... Not to get too far astray here. He's going to hit the reset. And this has to be done, as in Noah's day, because there is no way to put down the rebellion, the antagonism, the hate for God that pervades this world, short of killing nearly everybody. He recognized that back in Noah's day, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, The same scenario, basically, at Sodom and Gomorrah. There wasn't any way to straighten out that polluted, perverted society other than kill almost everyone. And then one even looked back and had to be killed as well, so that only three actually survived that. So God has shown in the past as hard and as harsh and as difficult as it might seem, the dealing with human beings in their carnal human state, even by God, is almost impossible. If you allow that he gave them free moral agency, which since Adam and Eve we have exercised quite openly and obviously and completely and constantly. And that agency allows us to disobey God. So, short of what he is about to do to sterilize and refine and purify, there is no way to deal with mankind. Now, once they die in this holocaust and they come up in the second resurrection... I think they will have a different attitude, and then they'll be ready to listen. But not until then. And it is a terrible thing that has to come, but there's no other way out of it. God saw that a long time ago and wrote it through all the prophecies that this would occur. Now, the church has recognized this for a long time. As I've said before, when I was... Eight years of age, I thought that the tribulation would start in 1972 and Christ would return by 1975 because that's what they were prognosticating based on the fallacy of 19-year cycles as they saw them. So, growing up as a child, 
I looked forward to the millennium, thinking I would probably be in it. I saw the end of the age coming, and every Sabbath I listened to my uncle and my parents discussing Time and Newsweek and U.S. News and World Report and any articles they could find way back in the early 50s that might indicate some of these Bible prophecies were starting to come to pass. Wild dogs in Georgia or whatever it might have been. And this went on and on. And then I began to grow up. And then I went to college. And then I started having children. And when 1972 came, nothing much had happened. But I thought my children would go up in the millennium. That they wouldn't have time to grow up in this age. So we told them that. And then they grew up and began to have children. And now some of their children are old enough to have children by the natural course in a few years or by mistake in nine months, depending. I'm not implying anything, but I, you know, I could be a great grandpa nine months from now. Somebody messes up. And I thought this would happen before I ever reached physical maturity. So it's gone on and on. And for some of you, it's been a perplexity. What do I tell my children? We, we have the end of the world coming, and now it looks like not only was it something Daryl thought about when he was eight, but now it looks like it could happen almost any time. What do we tell our children today? What do we tell our young adults today? What is it? How can we handle it? Now, this used to be primarily a problem within the church only. Now it has spread to be a bigger frustration than it was with just the church. There was an article on the internet this morning that I want to read to you. I do not divulge in this kind of thing very often. I like to preach pretty much strictly from the Bible. But once in a while, something comes along that fits the Bible story and ties in very closely with what I have been preaching now for nearly 20 years in terms of the duality of prophecy about how things happen first to the church, a spiritual Israel, then follow through with the physical uh, prophecy or application of physical Israel. And we have seen the church go through, as we've rehearsed many times, uh, a failure in leadership, a pulling away by those who committed spiritual treason and led the church back into evangelical Protestant churchianity, and how we had to flee from that as an abomination was set up in the church, and we had to flee. Now, that was a spiritual fulfillment of Second Thessalonians, and there is a physical coming up when uh, the beast and false prophets set up in the true Jerusalem to signal the beginning of the Great Tribulation, the end of Daniel 9 and Matthew 24 and so on. So we've seen the first fulfillment in the church, and we had to flee for our lives spiritually. And many, many have died in the resulting scattering and splintering of spiritual famine and pestilence. They have died of the spiritual sword. 
and many have been taken back into the captivity of the world. So that scenario is almost complete. Now let's, in the light of that, examine where the world is coming to in this nation today. I say the world, I'm speaking particularly of America. This article is taken from Dave Hodges on the Common Sense Show. I've been reading Dave's articles for quite some time now and try to catch up on him daily at this point because he understands a great deal more than most who are on the airwaves talking about what's happening. And he entitled this article, What Do I Tell My Children About Jade Helm? This was just published this morning. On the, just below the title, he has a picture of Smokey the Bear, and it says, Only you can prevent the New World Order. He's very attuned to what's happening in the world. Now, I'm going to read this article to you, and I'll try to not bore you to tears or put you to sleep, because when somebody starts reading, is usually when our minds stray and we begin to uh, go somewhere else mentally or to nod off or whatever, because for some reason live talk is easier to listen to than reading. But I'll try to make enough comments in here to maybe keep your chin from hitting completely on your chest. Only you can prevent the New World Order. He says America's southern... He's going to set the scene here now to what we tell our children. American southern border has disintegrated. People just flood across the border now willy-nilly, at will, and it doesn't matter who they are or where they're from. The border is completely open. Border agents have had some of their guns taken away. They have been told to stand down, and it doesn't matter if it's ISIS or Mexicans or Hondurans or who it is. They are to allow them to come across. He has documented that and knows that. Russia and NATO are mobilizing in and around Ukraine in what could be the beginning of World War III. That is true, and they are holding war drills in many countries right now. I think he comments on that later. He says, Our economy is one slight push from freefall. One slight push. It won't take much at this point. Now, we've been reading, haven't we, for years in Zephaniah 2, 1 and 2, about a financial collapse and other scriptures to go with that. So here is his recognition of it, along with a lot of other prognosticators who recognize that the whole American dollar, petrodollar world is in deep, deep trouble, and it won't take much for it and the euro to go the way of the dodo bird. He continues, we have foreign troops who have promised us harm, training on our soil. Russians, Chinese, we don't know who all else, maybe. And that has been very, very well documented uh, across the country. We have massive military movements all around our country in support of Jade Helm. Jade Helm was first announced as covering seven states, basically that area that Mexico claims through La Raza, uh, 
as being their territory, and it may very well be turned over to them. As we know from Scripture, this nation will be divided into four pieces. I'm quoting Daniel without going there because I don't want to do a 30-part series today. <clears throat> so they have come in. Uh, I have pictures here of trainloads of military equipment all over the country, not just in seven states, but in Maine and New Hampshire and Michigan and many other places where people have sent photos in of the movement of military equipment. And then we have pictures, of course, of the extraction thing that happened a few, year, a few weeks ago in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where they were training ahead of time to extract people from society that they didn't feel should be in society anymore. So we see that. Our skies are filled with attack helicopters. I began seeing those in Charlotte, North Carolina, back when we were there in 96 to 98. Black, unmarked military helicopters. It wasn't just something that I read on the Internet. There hardly was an Internet then. But I saw them with my own eyes flying over the city and over our house there in northern South Carolina. And it has gotten more. We used to see them. We lived up on a mountain there in Colorado. And we'd see black helicopters flying below our house down in the valley with no markings on them. So I've seen those things with my very own eyes in more location than one. I've seen them in other parts of the country as well. So our skies are filled with unmarked attack helicopters. Our train tracks are increasingly carrying military equipment all around the country. Massive movement right now is going on. We cannot turn on our televisions and be assured that our children will not see reports about Jade Helm because the mainstream media is becoming obsessed with the topic. It started out by being revealed on the Internet primarily, where the documentation from the Army was put out there, and then it began to swell and pass, proceed around, and now... On Google News, I see articles about Jade Helm. So, the mainstream media is also picking it up. It isn't something small, it's a big deal. And equipment, materiel, and personnel are being put in place to enact it. There have been reports of several Walmarts, prospering stores, not some that were in trouble, but prospering stores that have been shut down because of plumbing problems. And then we see pictures being sent in of military personnel and military equipment grouped around those Walmart stores. Why didn't they call Joe the plumber? <laughs> Why didn't they call Roto-Rooter? You know? Why do we need military taking care of a plumbing problem. And then I saw some pictures snapped where they had removed some of the shelves in a Walmart, tore up the floor, and poured a very heavy, thicker than normal, than a normal commercial application, concrete floor that would stand the weight of military vehicles. And then they 
put the tile back down and move the shelves back in place. Now this is a postulation of mine, and it may or may not be uh, true, I don't know. But why are they using Walmarts? Or China Mart, or whatever you want to call it. Well, they're all over the country. They're in small towns, medium towns, large towns. Many of them in large towns. And they have a very... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A very widespread, let's say, a transportation system to supply those Walmarts every day. Now, if this is going to be the beginning of martial law and the takeover of the country... Might it not be possible that the reason they're retooling the shelves in Walmarts is to prepare them to supply materiel and supplies for National Guard, for Army, for foreign troops to be able to take over the whole country? And their supply system then could supply not things for you and me, but for the military. And you and I would be banned from shopping there. I don't know that that's the case, but it's something that came to mind as a possibility. Because if you scatter military all across this country, they're going to be need, to need to be supplied in some form or fashion. And that system is already set up, and of course, is committed to the New World Order. Big time. A lot of possibilities. Anyway, he says the mainstream media is becoming obsessed with the topic. So it's getting more and more and more press. Uh, some probably trying to quiet everybody down and say, hey, you know, this is just a drill, just a drill, no big deal. And then others may be beginning to sound the alarm like is being sounded in Texas. This isn't something just off the internet, boys and girls. The governor of Texas is fighting it. He's got the Texas Rangers and the militia and every National Guard there on alert just in case this thing turns live. And Texas and Utah have been designated as hostile states. And one of their main drills for Utah is centered right on the map near St. George and Zion. So what's going to happen there? I don't know. But this thing is getting very close. Supposed to start July 15th, although they've already had some drills in Florida and other places. So who knows for sure. Now before we get too alarmed and panicked, I could see this being done a couple of different ways at least. One is that come July 15th, when this drill officially begins that it will turn live through some false flag attack or some alarm that is created, and the extraction of the red list, which I'm sure I'm on, would begin to occur and go not only to seven states, but then violence and riots and who knows what would break out, and it would become quickly a nationwide thing. Now, it may be that they intend to do it that way, or it could be a build-up like Y2K that gets everybody all excited, wolf, wolf, it's all coming down, and then they just do a drill, and everybody says, 
Huh, it was just a drill after all. All of you naysayers, forget it. Just another drill. You were so wrong. And then as they relax and have a nationwide gasp of relief, it could hit. A month later, six months later, a year later, who knows? But it just might be another way to lull people to sleep and then come live a little later. So I could see it happening either way. But either way, it isn't very far away. I think we'll see that as we continue here. <clears throat> so even the mainstream is obsessed. All of these things are on the short list of challenges presented to inhabitants of America by the New World Order, and many parents are finding it difficult to shield their children from the truth. As a parent, you want to shield your children from trouble, from difficulty, from uh, bullying at school, from any trouble you can keep your children from, you naturally, as a parent, want to do that. So he's beginning to address something here that is becoming so widespread not only on the internet, but now on the mainstream media, and is portrayed in movies of Red Dawn or whatever, that the children are getting a dose of it. Now, how do you as a parent react? Remember Chicken Little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. What do you tell your children when you perceive that the sky is falling? Even as my parents wondered about it when I was little, and I did with my children, and my children do with their children. They're not connected with the church, but they do see what's happening, and they're trying to prepare their children, my grandchildren, about what is about to happen in various ways, depending on which one you are speaking of at the moment. So, how do you shield your children from the reality that is about to come down on their heads, is his question. You can always unplug the television and change the subject. Try to ignore it. It isn't going away, but you can try to ignore it and keep them from it. However, when the following scenes begin to take place with greater frequency over the next several weeks, what will you tell your children about Jade Helm and the New World Order? Do you square with them? Do you tell them the world's about to come apart and most people on earth are going to die? He'll get into this a little more. Right after that, he shows a picture of a helicopter with somebody rappelling down on top of a building, which has already been, doing, been done in drills. And he says, speaking of that photograph, when your children see this in the coming months, what will you tell them? I am not sure they will believe it's Santa coming down the chimney. <laughs> Santa doesn't dress as a SWAT team member. And then he shows a picture of military driving down the middle of a city street. And under it, the question is, hey, Daddy, what is that? Now, in Michigan and New Hampshire and Maine and Texas and other places... Children are already seeing that on the trains and driving down the street. What do you tell your child? 
Here's another one of a train going by, about a two-mile-long train with nothing but military equipment on it. Hey, Mom, where are they going with all those weapons? Are we going to have a war? I can imagine a child saying something like that. At the end of the day, the biggest question is, what do we tell our children about Jade Helm and the New World Order, and when do we tell them? This is going to kick off on July 15th. Now, this man believes that something is going to happen that is going to make it go live uh, right away. And indeed, that very well may happen. Uh, What I said is a possibility was it would be a false thing, just a drill, and then the real thing come a little later. We shall see. But either way, it's ominous. So he is very perplexed as to what to tell his children, how to inform them. He doesn't want to scare them. Do we tell our children about Jade Helm after special forces are repelling from helicopters into our communities as they practice their extraction drills, which could go live at any moment? Now, to Dave Hodges, this is very real, understand. He is publishing this kind of thing daily. And there have been quite a few people who were doing just this, who had strange car accidents or strange holes in the back of their heads or various things that have happened to them which were, in a word, untimely. And he knows he is going out on a limb and that he could die any moment of any day. I've talked with Steve Quayle up in Montana two or three times in person, and he always has a gun at hand. He has an armored vehicle with bulletproof glass. He carries guns in his car because he says some of these same things. And he is very paranoid that he may die at any time and stress that to me. And some of these people have died. Then you have others, like Glenn Beck, who are on mainstream media and are saying some of the same things. And they're allowed to do it. Why haven't they killed Dave yet? He's expecting it any time. And he has filed with lawyers different things that are supposed to come out if he has an untimely death. And many of these people who are doing this kind of thing on the Internet have taken that precaution as well. So that there's a Snowden deal that comes out if they die in an untimely way. So they take those ways of protecting themselves... But you know, in a way, even though they're against everything that is happening in our country, they are playing into the hands of the New World Order to a certain degree. How? Because they are helping those who are compiling the red lists to know who should be on it. If I click on Dave Hodges' Common Sense Show regularly then they know that I am thinking some of the things that Dave is thinking. Well, they can follow your Internet activity very easily, and they can use the very message that is being put out by some of these people 
against you if you go and read what they have to say. I think Glenn Beck is probably in that very same situation. Some of the things he is saying are very true, and he seems very sincere, but I have the feeling he is a paid shill, and the mainstream media, which is controlled by six corporations, would not allow him on there unless he was doing what they want done. They can follow his audience. They can gauge how fast Americans are waking up by the size of his audience. They can determine who is watching his program. They can use the information of the audience that he generates against us. So they're useful idiots in one sense. I'm not saying they're idiotic. I don't mean it that way. But they're useful even if they're showing uh, signs of being against what is coming. They can still be used. And maybe that is why some of them are still alive and haven't been killed yet. But will be when the time comes. So this is very personal to this man is what I'm trying to get across. And he has a child he'll talk about here in a moment that he is debating very deeply and strongly what to say to. How do I handle this child? Do we wait till the extraction drills start and go live? Do we wait until we see armored vehicles like we did in a small town in New Hampshire this past Wednesday? Or do you wait until you are sitting at a railroad crossing and seeing a two-mile-long train filled with nothing but military equipment? And God forbid that you and your children are out on a Friday night and are confronted with the horror of citizens being marched into detention while under guard by U.S. troops, like we see here on Friday, March 27th, this year in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. What will you tell them? Many of you have probably seen this picture of people walking in line with their shoulder, their hand on the shoulder of the one in front like Nazi Germany did. This was in Fort Lauderdale in March. And your child asked you, as you were out for dinner maybe, somewhere in the USA on a Friday evening like this. Where are they taking these people, Daddy? Did they do something wrong? Does somebody want to hurt them? Well, Junior, what do you say? How do you answer? This next section he entitles, No Blueprint for Parenting. When I became a parent... I mistakenly thought that I would raise my son just like my parents raised me. My parents instilled in me a fund fundamental respect for authority, how to honor the great traditions of our country, and how to work hard to get what I wanted out of life. You older people were raised in pretty much that mode. I grew up loving the ideals of our country, the freedom and the opportunity as a result, I have lived a good and prosperous life. I give thanks to my parents and to God every day for my good fortune. However, I have learned that I was not fully prepared to be a parent because I do not know how to teach my 14-year-old son about living under tyranny that will accompany Jade Helm on behalf of the New World Order. 14-year-old son. What do I tell him? 
The next section is entitled, The Republic is Dead, Long Live the Republic. The America we knew is dead and gone and is running solely on momentum. Are any of you asking the same question that I am about how to tell our teenage children that they live under a hopelessly corrupt government and they are making plans to fully enslave all of us under Rex 84, FEMA camps, NDAA, and now Jade Helm? I can show you scriptures and have that this nation is going into abject slavery. Two-thirds killed and one-third is slaves. So what he's saying here fits scripture. And that's why I felt this important. See, he's facing what you as parents and maybe now grandparents have already faced. What do I tell my kids about the end of the world? How do I give them hope? He'll address that in a moment. What do I say? What is there for them? Those have frustrated and bothered you for years. And to some of you, it's bothering you right now. Just as it is Dave. But now he's facing it not only on a church-wide level, he's facing it on a national and international level. And his frustrations are the same. How do we teach our children to never criticize the government because free speech has been criminalized as an act of terrorism? How do we provide our children hope that if they work hard and go to college, that they will have a good life? And even if our kids graduate from college, most won't find a job when they get out of school. And even if they do find work in their field, they will be debt slaves because of the cost of higher education and paying off student loans for the next 30 years. How do we encourage our children to learn the lessons of civics when we fully know that our vote on a national level does not make a darn bit of difference and that the Nancy Pelosi's, Hillary Clinton's, Rand Paul's, Ted Cruz's, et al. all are all bought and paid for, as they are. How do we teach our children that our brave men and women who serve in the military have been turned into pawns of corporate greed and subsequent bankster-inspired imperialism? How do we prepare to raise our children in a decadent society which dishonors the very Christian principles that our country was founded upon. He has some deep concerns here. Then he says in the next section, feeling inadequate as a father. In my work as a writer and a broadcaster in the independent media, doing just what we're reading today, I know all too well that the potential dangers that I face in my attempts to reveal the truth about the lawlessness and abject criminality of so many in power. He's saying right there, I feel the personal threat. <clears throat> Hastings and Bretbart remind all of us, those were two that died in accidents or strange circumstances, who were whistleblowers. They remind of us all of us, that we take significant risk to do what we do. I take a very significant risk by reading this to you. It will be on the internet tonight or tomorrow. And they monitor everything that goes on the internet. Anything I say about God's Word and Christianity, they take exception to. I have no doubt I'm on the red list. 
that they will desire to extract me and kill me. And yet God tells me to go on about His work and do it, and not to fear, but to be of good courage, to be strong, and to work. So the church, and you, by being here and listening, I'm not there by myself, you're on the red list too. And if you're not on the U.S. government red list, I'll guarantee you you're on Satan's red list. And he's bigger and badder than the U.S. government. Or the New World Order world government. And he directs it. So we're all on the red list. Every one of us. Anyone who claims to be a Christian, true or false Christian, is on their red list. Because they hate Christianity. And they hate Israelites. And Christianity essentially is a, an Israelite thing. Exported to others here and there, but that's essentially what it has been. <clears throat> so he recognizes the danger he's in. I recognize the danger you and I are in. Is it going to shut me up? Not a chance. Not a chance. It has to be told. I decided several years ago that I was willing to take the risk, as are so many of my media colleagues. However, I have discovered that I was unprepared to be a father to a child who is growing up in a time of unprecedented corporate and government criminality. Do you realize that our children are living under a government that has forsaken due process and tortures people that they disagree with under the NDAA, and this is only what is openly admitted to? By destroying Pasicomatatus, as I said the other day, they can now take you off the street, imprison you, question you, torture you, and never turn you loose if they so decide, and kill you if they want. And do it, not with an action of Congress, but by government-issued instructions to the various agencies. They can do it, and are doing it. It's like a bunch of ducks on a pond, and suddenly you see one disappear. Something underneath drug him under, never to be seen again. And it's already happening in this country. If we treated our children like the government treats us, we would all be put in jail for neglect and child abuse. True story. How do I teach my son to develop a fundamental respect for many of our political and corporate leaders who have no moral compass? How do you go about it as a parent? You know, I was taught to respect government. I was taught to obey the authorities, as Romans 13 indicates. But there's nothing left to support. It's criminals. It's thieves. They're fraudulent. They're treasonous. From top to bottom. God even says that our nation would be sick from the head to the foot 
Every part of our society is in a moral abyss and has denied God almost entirely. And even those who give him lip service do not anything that he says. How do you teach respect and obedience to that? It's almost an impossibility, isn't it? And yet, if there's any time left, you want your children to grow up with respect as upstanding citizens and so on. But what do you tell them? Then he entitles this, The Questions a Parent Cannot Answer. My son is now asking questions befitting an adult perspective of our present political and economic situation. I am not bashful about identifying the misdeeds of our government when I am writing or broadcasting. I mean, out to the public, he says, I don't have a problem telling what's going on. Also, I know that I have the intellectual capacity to explain to my son how bad things have become in terms he can understand. He knows he's fluent enough to tell his kid what's going on like he can tell you and me what's going on. He's aware of that. That isn't the problem. However, I have found that I am lacking the skill and knowledge to explain to my son just how bad things are without taking away his hope for the future. Now, isn't that where many of us have been over the last few decades? How do you tell them there's no hope for the future? This man knows that this nation is going into captivity. He knows the New World Order is going to enslave the whole world. He knows there is no hope for his son to grow up as he did in the American society that we used to know. It just That possibility is not there. How do you tell him? Son, you're 14, you're scheduled to live till at least 70, maybe 80, but <laughs> it ain't going to happen, boy. You're going to die or go into slavery. How does he tell his kid that? Although I constantly say that I am fighting for our children's future, I have kept my son as separate as I can from my work in the media. It is not something that I have tried to share with him because I do not want him to become cynical. Sarcastic, turned off, no hope. Yet, I know that there comes the day when all parents realize that we have to tell our children that there is no Santa Claus and that it is not him coming down the chimney at 3 a.m. It's the shock troops. Rabbits don't lay colored hen eggs. They have live births. When do you tell a kid that? I grew up in an America which was a republic interspersed with some corruption. Today's America is a corporate criminal enterprise where there are no rules for the elite and the constitutional precepts underlying our laws are on life support. Subsequently, my son, 14-year-old son, is growing up in a far different America than I did and to hear him talk about his future hopes and fears reflects these fundamental changes that we have experienced as a country. The kid's 14. He wants to grow up. He wants to have a marriage. He wants to have a job. He wants to have a house and a car. And his dad realizes, it's not going to happen, son. How do you explain that? 
What will you tell your children? I'm almost done. When my son was eight years old, I took him to Washington, D.C., pictured to the right, standing in front of the National or Washington Monument. And we tried to instill in him an ongoing appreciation of American traditions. At the time of the trip, six years ago, I still held out faint hope we could restore our republic and Washington, D.C. could be stop being referred to as the District of Criminals. After all, children need to be worried about the piano lessons, their sports teams, their first crush, their schooling. They do not need to be burdened with dealing with geopolitical issues stemming from the bankers trying to run this planet. Yet our children's lives are increasingly being dominated by this march towards economic and political totalitarianism, and in the upcoming weeks, <clears throat> Jade Helm will force parents to answer some very uncomfortable questions from their children as we witness the tyranny of Jade Helm in an up-close and personal manner. Conclusion. If you are awake as to what is going on and you have children, you will one day be forced to answer the questions that your child, children ask about the world that they live in. <coughs> and for the life of me, I do not know how to tell my child how to live in the new world order. Do you? If the globalists are able to completely tighten the noose of Jade Helm tyranny around our collective necks, your children may ask you one day, Mommy and Daddy, what did you do to try and stop the bad people from hurting us? If Daddy and Mommy are there to ask. Some of you have grappled and wrestled with some of these answers in the past. It was a church thing. Now it's a world thing. Now even the world is beginning to realize we're at the end of the age, that God is about to punch the reset button, and that world wars are pending, and that millions, even billions of people are going to be killed. They're beginning to wake up to the fact that the Georgia Guidestones predict that 90% of population will die. They're beginning to hear Ted Turner's proclamation and others that they intend to kill 90 plus percent. Ted Turner, others. That they intend to make us have a sustainable Earth. You read about sustainable earth, sustainable this, sustainable that. What it means is we are going to kill 90% of you so that we might sustain this earth as we have known it and before we pollute it to death. And we are polluting it to death. And God even says in the book of Revelation, woe to those that pollute the earth. I'm out of time, I guess. But how do we give our children hope? We've seen the church come apart. We've seen the first enactment of the prophecy 
Now we are seeing the dual side of it, the nation facing the same things the church faced. It's not just something that I can tell you is going to happen, it's something that's happening before our very eyes, and it is at the door. They recorded your house from your front porch with a GPS at the last census, so they know exactly where everybody is. They didn't miss with many people. Well, this thing goes on and on, and we've been hearing recently, have we not, about all the prying, and they read everything you put on your cell phone or on Facebook or which site you go to on the Internet. They know which TV programs you watch. They can record them. And in fact, with some TVs, they can watch you watch TV from your bed and whatever else they want to watch. It's an intrusive situation. Thankfully, we have answers, brethren. We have answers that Dave Hodges and others who are in his position do not have. At the beginning of this sermon, I talked a little bit about the years we have left, perhaps until Christ returns and the Jubilee begins and the true reset has occurred, where most people have died and a new world order with Christ himself ruling with a rod of iron will be enacted he will love his lambs that are left, and he will hold them in his arms, figuratively speaking at least. But the mayhem and the violence and the sin will be prohibited by the rod of iron. Now, there is only one place on earth that is listed as a place of refuge and safety for those who will obey God. It's right here in this area. We have a temple to build. We have a Jerusalem to build. That will take a few years. And then that temple is going, to be, is going to be polluted by the New World Order, one of the little kings, one of the little horns, one of the leaders of one of the divisions of four of this country that are in process, will come and set up the abomination of desolation. And those who have been protected to that point by a wall of fire will have that protection removed, and they will have to flee to the hills, to the mountains, actually, of Zion, because that is the place of refuge throughout the Bible. Your children, if with you and obedient, <clears throat> will have protection through all this mayhem and destruction that is coming. It is their only way of protection and safety. Their only way. If they're out in this world, they will be taken into slavery rather than killed because they are young enough to work. Older people will be killed on the spot because they are useless eaters, if not done in by health care between now and then as useless eaters. But the young will be taken captive if they could be captured alive and put to work in sweatshops like they used to make Nikes and iPhones today in China with very little pay and barely enough to live on in terms of food. That's what is there for the world. That's what's there for Dave Hodge's son. 
He doesn't know how to tell him. But you have hope that he does not have. That your, your children, if obedient, will be taken to a place of safety. And that within ten years, probably, twelve probably at the outside, the kingdom of God will be on the earth. And all these bad guys that would hurt and harm and kill are going to be dead. And your children can live in peace and safety and live out their lives in obedience to God with homes and food and clothes in abundance. And it will be a time of peace and prosperity. You are the only ones that can answer your children in this nation today with any degree of hope. And it is a great hope based on faith in God that if you obey Him and serve Him and overcome sin and dedicate yourself to God, that your children, as a result of your obedience, as underlined in 1 Corinthians 7, will come under the protection of God. Give them that hope. Explain that to them. Talk to them about it regularly. Let them know their lives are not over, like the lives of the kids they're going to school with are over. They're over except for the actual fact of doing it. But in terms of future, it's a done deal. The prophecies of God say so, and even people who are looking at the world scene know so. It's here. It's at the door. It's happening. Give your kids hope. The only hope there is, and that is hope in God and His plan and His purpose, that you have opportunity to be a part of.